Experiencing the news each day can feel like a journey. With Up First from NPR, it doesn't have to be. Welcome to 15 easy minutes of breaking news, clarity on international and national affairs, all handed over not from some floating voice in the sky, from us, Layla, A, Steve, and me, Rachel. Start your day informed. Subscribe to Up First wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nina Totenberg, and I'm the legal affairs correspondent for NPR. And my book is Dinners with Ruth, a memoir on the power of friendships. Nina Totenberg is a name and voice heard often on public radio. As NPR's legal affairs correspondent, she has been breaking down the news of the Supreme Court for listeners since 1975. Early in her career, a phone call to a source began as a law lesson and ended with a near 50-year friendship with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This friendship is just one of many featured in Nina Totenberg's new book, Dinners with Ruth, a memoir on the power of friendships. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Nina Totenberg about these friendships, the importance of journalism, and much more. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. The subtitle of your book is A Memoir on the Power of Friendships. You write about many friendships in the book, but the the title points to a major one with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You wrote that in covering the courts, you had to write things so that regular people, people who weren't lawyers but who might be interested if you wrote a story well, could understand them, and that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of your first translators, explaining law in a clear and concise manner. Can you share how you two became friends? Well, she certainly did become my early instructor in a way because when I first started covering the court and I was in my 20s, I really didn't know what I was doing at all. And the court's docket was about twice as big in terms of argued cases as it is today. So I was drowning and I was just trying to keep up. And I called her because she had filed what was, in fact, her first Supreme Court brief in a case that would be the first time that the Supreme Court ultimately held that women are entitled to equal protection of the law under the 14th Amendment. But I really had a lot of questions about that and didn't understand it. And I called her up and I got an hour-long lecture slash conversation. And I would call her very often after that to ask her to explain things more to me involving her crusade, really, for uh, women's rights under the law, and other things as well. And she was a wonderful um, tutor, in a way, in those early days, and we ultimately became friends. The title of the book, as you might imagine, the first part, Dinners with Ruth, was, I think it's fair to say, the publisher's idea, And for what they paid me to write this book, I figured they got the right to write the title. (laughs) And the second part of the title, A Memoir on the Power of Friendships, is my part of that title. So you mentioned you are the NPR legal affairs correspondent, and you are considered one of the founding mothers of NPR. But your first job in journalism was at the Record American, the precursor to the Boston Herald. Our listeners hear you on NPR, and they're listening from Wichita, and I'm wondering if you could speak about the role that local journalism plays in a community. Oh, my God, it is so important. It is much more important today than it was when I was a young reporter. 
because there were just tons of newspapers across the country. When I worked for the record, there were two other newspapers in Boston. When I was a child in New York, there were seven newspapers in New York. And almost every major city had at least two newspapers. It had a morning and an afternoon newspaper. Washington had, when I moved here, three newspapers. And today, many of these places have no newspapers. All they have is NPR, which is not an all, and television. And television doesn't tell you anything about what's going on in local government in your community for the most part. It might give you a minute or two if you're lucky. Other than that, it's if it bleeds, it leads. So journalists are the check on government. They're the people who come in and say, I want to see the documents for the bidding on this building, or I want to talk to the superintendent of schools about X, Y, or Z, or I want to go to a public meeting and do an article in the newspaper the next day about what happened at the school board meeting. Well, in many communities in this country now, there is no newspaper. There might be an online newspaper, and there might not be. And not everybody has that kind of access to online journalism, especially people with fewer resources. So the one place where you can get it all is NPR. You can get the radio. You can get digital. And if you go online, you will see both those kinds of stories. In fact, two different versions of those stories. And you can get podcasts. And you can get everything. I want to ask you about objectivity and fairness because you wrote Nobody is purely objective. What all of us are capable of is fairness. Can you talk about that, especially in regard to our current political and and media climate? Well, there are certain standards for journalism, that both sides get to have their say, that you do your best to figure out what the facts are and present the facts, and when facts are in dispute, to say they're in dispute, and here's what one side said, and here's what the other side said, or even that the facts are in dispute but overwhelmingly suggest X. (laughs) But the point is that it's not my opinion that people are really interested in. They're interested in a clear exposition of an issue or a Supreme Court case or in the days when I covered Capitol Hill as well as the court and sometimes even the White House, what was going on there and what the dispute was all about, they're not really interested, and nor should they be, in what I personally think. If I really wanted to do that kind of journalism, I would do it, but it's not the kind of journalism I'm interested in doing. I'm interested in making people understand what's at stake in a particular issue, what the various competing arguments are, and ultimately what the consequences could be. You know, I bought your book in both hardcover and audio. Um, I like to listen and read at the same time. And you narrated the audio, which I loved, and I imagine it wasn't much of a struggle given your experience with radio. Uh, I had allocated four days for it, uh, basically (laughs) six hours a day. And the publisher, Simon & Schuster, was actually sort of amazed that I thought I could do it in that time, and we did it in that time. It was a bit of a push, and I'm not 
thrilled with the quality of my voice in the reading of it, in large measure because I recorded it in the summer and did not realize that I was coming down with COVID. Oh, no. <laughs> the day after I finished, I tested positive for COVID. <laughs> so it's a, it, my voice sounds a little crackly to me, but other than that, I had a producer who would ask me to redo certain sections and to give her more of this or that or to slow down in a particular place. And that was extremely helpful to have somebody listening because you can't entirely listen to yourself. You know when you've emphasized the wrong syllable. <laughs> but other than that, sometimes you don't realize. And I think actually in the very beginning of the book, I read it faster than I might have said to myself if I'd heard it, oh, slow down a bit. Just just reduce the pace by about 10 or 15 percent. I want to say when I first started listening to the audiobook and the recordings were of your dad playing, is, is yes. that correct? When I recorded the audio of the book, it occurred to me as I was sitting there Every book you hear has some little bit of music at the beginning and the end. And I said to the producer, I said, why don't we use some of my dad playing? And I have all these recordings of him playing. And if you go to YouTube, you can find them. If you go to Amazon, you can find more. So I picked out some passages for the beginning. It was part of a Bach sonata. And then I picked out the end end of one of the Paganini caprices for the end, because it's a very jolly, devilishly difficult passage. And Paganini had incredibly long fingers, abnormally long fingers. And that's what made him able to write these and do these. And for everybody else, you work really hard. But I must say that my dad, who made his debut as a soloist with the Warsaw Philharmonic when he was 11 years old, he always spent his life pulling on those fingers to make them a little, just a little <laughs> bit longer. <laughs> it really pleased me that that was something more that people would hear from the audiobook something more than they would get just from the print book. In the print book, you get a lot of photos, though. So I urge everybody to go out and buy at least one copy, if not for yourself, for a friend or relative. It's a great Christmas present because it's not wildly expensive, but you ought to be able to figure out who would enjoy this. You know, I watched some of the coverage this book has already received. I, I watched the CBS Sunday Morning interview and your appearance on Stephen Colbert. And I have to say the reception the audience gave you when you walked out was so refreshing. I don't know that movie stars get that kind of applause. But when Stephen <laughs> asked you, you know, how this could possibly be your first book and you remarked, and my last, is that true? Do you think you have... No, I'm not writing another book. It's certainly not while I keep my day job, I'm not. It was a it was a push. Let me tell you, there were a lot of long nights and a lot of weekends lost. And even at this very time last year, I was doing the first edit of the book, which was very important because it was in very loose form at that point, and I added chapters and other things. And I did it on my annual two-week vacation with my family in Jamaica every afternoon at about 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, more likely. Everybody else would go back to the beach or play games or sit around and read, and I sat there and worked. 
Wow. Rewriting the book, basically. As we talked about, the book focuses a lot on your friendship with Ruth and the fact that you each faced obstacles based solely on gender and how you were each able to overcome these obstacles with determination and resilience. But you also mention other friendships throughout the book, Cokie Roberts and Linda Wertheimer, your sisters, your husbands. What have you learned from these friendships and what do you want readers to take away from this book about friendship? Um, I'm sure this isn't an original phrase, but friendships are like gardens. They need to be tended carefully and nurtured, and they will pay you back a million times more if you do that. And I would say that my friendships throughout my life, or certainly after I hit my 20s, have been the thing that has been the most sustaining part of my life my first husband and his long illness and then death, and my second and hopefully forever husband, and my women friends, my sisters, who were the ultimate mainstays of my life to this day in terms of women friendships, and my friendship with Ruth Ginsburg and other members of the court and other people who are not all women and who taught me a lot about how to do things in my profession, and how to live my life, and what kind of a friend I should be to others. I wrote it to be a chatty sort of tale of my life that is framed in the friendships that I made and who these people were and the wacky things that I sometimes did as a young journalist, which I still can't believe I had the nerve to do. And, and the, you know, the great happinesses and sadnesses, too, of my life. Nina Totenberg, the book is Dinners with Ruth, a memoir on the power of friendships. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, Beth, for having me. Give my love to Wichita. <laughs> and by the way, everybody, give. It's the season of giving, so you should give to Wichita Public Radio also and NPR. That was Nina Totenberg, author of the book, Dinners with Ruth, a memoir on the power of friendships, which was published by Simon & Schuster. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Stasser and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing assistant is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.